Hi, and welcome to the Wonderful World of Disney Villains podcast. I'm your host, Katie Ohashi, ready to talk about everything Disney. So I thought I would start by doing the workshop that I do for my college. This is the foundation for all of um, the work that I've done, all of my interests. Um, so you may hear about some scholarly resources um, that I have, as well as just opinions um, about different things, about different characters, about different movies, um, about overlaps or representation, um, character traits, things like that. Um, you can also check out my blog, wonderfulworldofdisneyvillains.com. If you want to read more about um, the different things that I've been talking about the past year, um, the content on the podcast is expected to be a little bit different than the content that's already on the blog. But if you follow both, then you will see a lot of overlap. I also want to give a disclaimer. Um, I did not anticipate how hard it would be to find time to record this podcast and also to find spaces that were quiet enough where you didn't um, have any background noise. So I anticipate in the future that these podcast episodes will probably take longer to produce and to record um, just because a five-month-old, um, now six-month-old baby does does take majority of my time on top of working full-time. So um, I do um, want to say sorry, not sorry <laughs> about that, and hopefully you will continue to listen regardless. Okay, so let's begin. Um, I always start with my presentation by giving a few um, disclaimers, so to speak. Um, one is that my presentation looks at Disney animated movies, not the live action um, remakes or, or anything um, similar. Uh, not, no Disney Channel original movies, none of that, none of that stuff. Um, there are also a lot of spoilers um, throughout, kind of going over different movies, um, but I imagine that if you haven't watched them yet, you're probably not really looking to watch them anytime soon, and spoiling them is not, I'm assuming, is not really a concern of yours, um, but I guess let me know if you um, feel differently. Um, the presentation is only looking at princess films more so. Um, excluding Pixar movies, unfortunately. So Brave is not part of that lineup. We're looking more at like Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, um, Princess and the Frog, Moana, those types of movies. And this has happened before, so I do have to say it. We are looking at fictional worlds um, made by Disney. So in no way, shape, or form throughout this particular presentation should everybody all of a sudden be talking about politics. That's it. And lastly, I would just like to say this is based on my own opinion. Um, if you have a different opinion or interpretation of these films and characters, I am in no way invalidating that. Everybody's opinion matters. Everybody's opinion is valid. Um, this is just my own interpretation, my own opinion um, that I am expressing, so to speak, um, through this presentation. So now we get to begin the fun part, which is talking about Disney villains, which is why we're here, right? And so looking at Disney villains, I, of course, watched all the movies, all the Disney movies, the Disney princess ones. And then I started to look at all of the variations of Disney villains there are out there. Um, so looking at the TV show Once Upon a Time, 
um, looking at the YouTube parody musical Twisted the Untold Story of Royal Vizier. They also, Team Star Kid has another parody musical about Anakin Skywalker. Uh, it's called Annie, A-N-I, um, a parody. There's a lot of different YouTube videos, Tumblr pictures, um, a lot of cross-dressing, gen- cross, cross gender-bending, racial-bending, is that what it's called? Um, and other, um, from other multiple numerous artists um, online if you just search for it. There's the YouTube artist Paint, um, P-A-I-N-T, like the paint that you put on your wall, who did acapella songs about Disney princesses and Disney princes, but showing a darker happily ever after. And by that, I mean no happily ever after. Uh, so that's interesting. And, and he did a lot of work for those, so you should definitely check that out. Um, and obviously there's the movie Maleficent, which is a Disney movie, and then the recent um, sequel to that. There's Descendants 1, 2, and 3, and the TV show on Disney Channel. And I heard that there's going to be a Disney villain TV show coming out, um, but that was before COVID, so I don't know what what the um, what's going on with that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot out there. And when you watch it, they all have very different versions of the Disney villain. Oh, and there's like Snow White and the Huntsman and others as well. Uh, Mirror Mirror with Julia Roberts. Um, all the Cinderella um, remakes. Um, the Rogers and Hammersteins with Brandy and, and others. So there's a lot. There's a lot of versions of everything, um, and they obviously all show. I would say almost identical versions of the heroes and the princesses, but vastly different versions of the villains, which is kind of fun though. Uh, they all have similar arcs, but they're all very different, uh, which I found very fascinating. It makes it more fun, and you can kind of you can kind of see why actors always say villains have more fun, or villains are more fun to play. Um, so I started with asking, um, when I was doing my research about Disney villains and doing Disney villain workshops, I, I used to start by saying, what makes a villain a Disney villain? How is someone like the Joker different from someone like Maleficent or Ursula or Cruella de Vil or Jafar or you know, Dr. Facilier or, or someone else, right? What makes them different? What makes them different from supervillains? What makes them different from murderers? What makes them different from literally any other type of villain or criminal? Or even criminals, I guess that would be another term. So there's a Disney villain podcast called Disney Villain Deathmatch. They only did one season and they would compare Disney villains to each other after watching the movie and they would rate them on who would beat the other Disney villain. So there was um, looking at the villain's purpose, motivation, what their lair looks like, how their minions um, interact or behave or are they reliable minions or are they just kind of um, ridiculous and, and don't and aren't very useful or helpful. Uh, how far the villain is going is go- willing to go to accomplish their goal. Do they have a death scene and how epic is it? And then bonus if they have their own song. 
Um, so it's based on those six categories, and they did include Pixar villains as well. So Syndrome from in The Incredibles was in there, and a few others. Um, I can't remember who won, but I remember that it wasn't a surprise to me. Um, but I don't remember who it was. But I'm assuming it was someone like Maleficent or Ursula or I don't know. Anyway, um, and then I was looking at Tumblr and all the memes. And you kind of get sucked in, to be honest. And some of the memes that there were was, you know, one, lime green is the color of evil. You see it when they use their magic. And the examples were, you know, when Maleficent is breathing fire, it's green. When Dr. Facilier is using his magic, it's green. When Scar is walking around singing his song, Be Prepared, it's green, smoke. And when Ursula is using her magic to give Ariel legs, it's green. Um, the other one was how to be evil, call everybody a fool. So you see Corella saying, you'll be sorry, you fools. You see um, Ursula saying, you pitiful, insignificant fool. The evil queen from Snow White, you bundering fool. Maleficent saying, you fools, you idiots, you imbeciles, scars, no fool, we're going to kill him. Jafar saying, you little fool. You get the picture. There's more. Um, I didn't, I only said half <laughs> half of them there's definitely more examples um but you get the picture right so the the commonality that i got um about who disney villains are were were those things right and then from audiences uh participation i got that disney villains and the way that they're different from uh a generalized version of a villain or a super villain or a criminal is that disney villains sing they're very musical they wear lots of black and dark colors which i guess is not different um from others but but it could be they are expressive they're theatrical they have restrictive vocabulary regarding insulting and or using derogatory words because the art the target whoa the target audience is children so you can't really use naughty words or if you do (laughs) use words like fool you fools that's that's about the extent of the um harassing i guess and then disney villains never have their side of the story told um the story that led to their villainy in the first place and they don't get happy endings most of them do die so kind of sad but also kind of not and so going forward um i started to look at what i call or not what i call but what is called Stuart Hall's binary form of representation. And so this binary form of representation is basically people who are considered different are represented through sharply opposed, this is the quote, represented through sharply opposed polarized binary extremes. So when you're looking at someone who's a hero, the person who is the other or or separate is the bad guy. When you're looking at someone who's pretty, you have someone right next to them who's extremely ugly. And so you got to have the polar opposites in everything. Um, And I was looking specifically at this term because Disney's target audience is children. So they have to have polar opposites so children can know who is who, right? So you have all these villains wearing dark clothing, standing out by having rainbow skin color or other. Because that is going to help children know, oh, they're the villain. And then you have all the heroes 
who have perfectly nice skin. They're very pretty. Um, they have a kind of like elegance about them. Um, and, and they're obviously, you know, striving towards a particular goal. Um, and you see those people as, as the heroes. Um, and they're dressed a certain way and they look a certain way and they talk a certain way because that's going to help children identify them as the protagonist. Um, so things, you know, like having having an accent that children can understand and other things are very important, right? Um, because they are children. And so looking at this binary form of representation where when you have one one identity, you have to have the extreme opposite. I found um, an article by Sarah Gailey, um, G-A-I-L-E-Y, about females, um, about like female supervillains, including Disney villains, including like any type of female villain. And just looking at um, what's expected of women and what is forbidden, so to speak, of women to do in these stories, which I would say is very realistic. And you do have this binary form of representation that these movies portray what we expect women to be, which is the Disney princess, right? And so Sarah Gailey says, in that sense, we expect women to wait and be patient, be nice, be happy with what you have, enjoy what you're given, don't look for more. You know, you make wishes, not plans, you have animal friends, um, no one works for you, but everybody loves you, you look soft and small and breakable, you cry with your head in your arms, so no one has to see, you know, your eyes and your makeup and mascara flying down and everything. Be afraid no one will rescue you. Be afraid that you have to live your whole life without adventure finding you. So those are what that's what Sarah Gailey says. And then the what's forbidden side, which is the opposite side, right, of who a, a female villain is and who women in society should not be or are expected not to be is um, being fierce, um, laughing with your head thrown back, applying eyeshadow as a cut crease, drawing in your eyebrows, dyeing your hair, wearing nice um, clothes. You can only wear nice clothes if they've been sewn to you, sewn for you by animals or magic. Um, cause if you do notice, they don't always tend to wear nice, nice things. Um, and they always wear the same thing throughout the entire movie. Again, I think that's just for children's sake. And then, um, the other, the other things are, you know, don't get old, fat, or tall. Don't make demands. Um, you can hope, but don't expect. Work hard, but don't grind for years and years building an empire. Because if you do, and this is the quote, you'll get taken down and the audience will cheer at your suffering. Kind of sad. And then, and this one I thought was interesting and always got people is, don't carve your face into a mountainside because that territory is reserved and your name is not on the list. So there's that. Based on the binary form of representation... So, you know, when you have one, you have the complete polar opposite. I came up with this theory that I do mention in the presentation, but have since actually realized that it's not true. It's only true for certain for certain movies, which are the, literally the examples that, I'm, that I gave in my presentation. So don't try to prove me wrong because I already know that I'm wrong in some sense. But... Um, it did kind of blow people's minds when I mentioned it initially, so I do like to mention it just um, for memory's sake and other. Um, so my theory was that Disney often upholds heroes and protagonists to have certain privileges. Um, the top three privileges that I often saw were that 
were their race, their sexuality, and their socioeconomic status, which tended to be white, heterosexual, and middle to upper class because most of them were royalty or ended up being royalty. Um, some of them do not have all three of these identities, but most of them have at least two, um, or they end the movie with more than one of the three pillars of these privileges, so race, sexuality, um, socioeconomic status. Most of them also have the identities of being heterosexual, being a young and able-bodied individual. Uh, heroes and villains tend to be polar opposites, uh, but obviously that can change throughout. And so these are some of the these are the examples that I have where the heroes and villains and their privileges and oppressions flip by the end of the movie um, because there are things that can be changed. Um, and then if they are not polar opposites in some way, shape, or form, um, that identity could be erased um, just because they do have to maintain that binary form of representation where they are polar opposites up to the end of the movie. Um, so sometimes if they share an identity, one of those identities is taken from either the hero or the villain so that they stay polar opposites. Um and then by the end, it may change in, in some other way. So an example of this, and I'll, sh and I'll explain, is Princess and the Frog. So you have Princess Tiana, or, or Tiana before, she, um, and she wants to be a restaurant owner, right? And then you have Dr. Facilier, who's a magic voodoo man. And, the, and I know you can't see it visually, but the commonality when you're looking at their pictures next to each other is that they're both African-American in the 1920s. And they're both hustling to get, um, or to have a better life for themselves, right? I would say Dr. Facilier probably, maybe not in that sense, but, but they're both hustling to get money. Um, Tiana is, I would consider to be working lower class and she's trying, she's working two jobs to buy her own place. And then Dr. Facilier is trying to pay off his debt to the underworld, which is a different form of being labeled as working lower class because I feel like not, nobody else is really aware of it because it is a different, a different form of debt, right? So they do have commonalities. And according to the binary form of representation, that cannot happen. They have to be opposites, right? So something has to be erased. They're too similar. And actually, Princess Tiana is darker than, um, darker skinned than Dr. Facilier, which was another thing that I found online quite often talked about. Um, because usually the villain has a darker skin tone than the protagonist, but in this case, it's the opposite. And so talking about, you know, that idea of um, of blackness representation or blackness represented and how you do often have someone who's darker represented as the bad guy or the criminal and how that does criminalize people. But anyway, that's different. So um, what is erased, right? What What is changed? And so actually... Tiana, um, I'm assuming that we all know, turns into a frog. Frog is green. Frog is not a human race. So literally the entire movie is Tiana as a frog, which I know I found very infuriating because you have a princess of color, the first African-American princess, and you don't even get to see her in her beautiful skin and all. You see her as a green slimy frog. Anyway, that's different. So um, maybe it'll be a future episode. Anyway, um, so you see her as a frog most of the movie, while Dr. Celia is as he is, and all of a sudden, you just erased 
Tiana's race. Seems really hard um, to do, but obviously not when you have magic, right? So all of a sudden, you have Dr. Fazili as an African-American, and you have Tiana as a frog. And so now they are polar opposites in every possible way, shape, and form, because now Tiana doesn't have to worry about her socioeconomic debt. Because she's a frog, and she can't, doesn't need to work, I would say. So there's that. And then by the end, once Dr. Facilier does die, um, there's a little there's a little bit of time where Princess Tiana is still a frog, but then she doesn't, you know, and she um, becomes a person again. So she's back to her full African-American self, and she marries a prince. So all of a sudden, her socioeconomic status goes from working lower class to the highest class possible, even though I know... Um, in the movie, the prince is broke, but it seems like it all works out in the end with the business and all. So, yeah, so that kind of shows you how Princess Tiana goes from um, one one level of socioeconomic status and ends up at the at the other end of the spectrum, which does happen to a lot of the princesses. The other example I had was Aladdin, um, Aladdin and Jafar. So Aladdin and Jafar hold the same ethnicity right? The same race, the same nationality. Um, they're both people of color, but they hold very different socioeconomic identities and levels of authority and power. So Jafar is the royal vizier. He is the second most powerful person in the world, in, in the kingdom, I would say. We don't know about the world. And so he, I'm assuming he has a lot of wealth. He has a lot of power. He has a lot of authority, right? And then you have Aladdin, who's the complete opposite. Aladdin is a street rat he holds no power authority and he's broke basically broke almost on the verge of homelessness he's squatting somewhere basically um and i noticed that throughout the movie which is different in the broadway musical and the live action that they disguise themselves in front of each other to make it seem like they are equal but they're not so the examples are um, Jafar disguises himself as a prisoner, as an old old man and a prisoner, to convince Aladdin to get the lamp um, and to go to the Cave of Wonders. So Jafar is you know, using his power and authority, and I'm assuming his money, to get this measly disguise to make it seem like him and Aladdin are equals. Same thing goes with Aladdin. Aladdin becomes a prince um, through the genie, and then meets Jafar, not knowing it's Jafar because Jafar was disguised before. Um, where, in a sense, they are equals. Uh, I would say in, in most ways, power, money, just the way in Aladdin looks. Um, and you know, Aladdin's trying to convince Jafar that he's this prince from this land that they don't know of, but it exists, right? And so then, um. In the end, we all know that Jafar's greed kind of, you know, turns him into a genie. And then, you know, he kind of is stuck in what what a student actually told me was slavery, um, which is interesting because so Jafar goes from being the second most powerful person in the land. He wants to be a genie because he thinks it's more powerful. But in the end, he is trapped to the lamp. He is trapped to a master, which makes him a slave. So, yeah, Jafar just went from the top to the bottom. And actually, I was glad a student mentioned that to me. And then Aladdin becomes Sultan of Agrabah, which is the highest power ever. And so he, Aladdin goes from the bottom to the top. 
And so in senses, both of them completely switch both authority and power and socioeconomic status. Coffee Over Cardio delivers delicious coffee, creamers, and hydrates that are carb-free, calorie-free, sugar-free, gluten-free, and keto-friendly. They have amazing coffee flavors like birthday cake and cinnamon bun, which I'm drinking right now, and they are delicious. And their creamers give customers focus and concentration without the jitters or crash and burn that often comes after guzzling to meet those deadlines. If you want to get in on all the delicious fun, check out their website, coffeeovercardio.com, and use my discount code 10KDOHASHI for 10% off. Again, that's the number 10KDOHASHI, K-A-Y-T-I-E-O-H-A-S-H-I, for 10% off at coffeeovercardio.com. So in looking at this idea of stories flipping, I wanted to look at how it specifically affects a Disney villain. And so I came across the TED Talk, um, The Danger of a Single Story, and I'm going to try to pronounce their name correctly, uh, Chimamanda Adichie. Um, and I've actually, I've seen this TED Talk quite often. I've seen it a lot at the college, and I know a lot of students have seen it in their classes. I actually went to a communications class to present this workshop, and they were like, oh, we've already watched that video. We know exactly what you're talking about, and we know how you're applying it to this presentation, which was a plus for me, um, and I think it's just really popular just talking about you know the danger of a one-sided story where you tell something in one way so many times that that's all people think about, or that's the only version people think about. <laughs> Um, and the example that the um, presenter gave was, you know, um, being told that this person is poor over and over to the point that all they thought of them was that they're poor, not that they have all these different skill sets or the, or all this knowledge about other things and that they can do all these things just that, oh, you're poor. Like, I didn't know you could do that. Or I didn't know you felt that way about this. Or I didn't know you, you had feelings or, or thoughts about such and such because all I know about you is that you're poor and you can apply the same thing to to literally everything um but in this context we're looking at Disney villains and how Disney I would say up until maybe maybe the past like 10 years or so always portrayed the villain as a one-sided story you see them as the villain um but Technically, everybody is the hero of their own story. So if you flip it and you look at, you know, like the movie Maleficent, for example, you can kind of see how stories can be flipped and how there really is more than one side to a story. Um, and so Shimamanda Adichie talks about, you know, the single story creates stereotypes. And this is a quote. Um, and the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. They make one story become the only story. And I think that's kind of how we've been with um, Disney villains in that we see them as one-sided and um, having certain characteristics, certain stereotypes, which, which was what I mentioned before with what others have told me. You know, they wear a lot of black and they're very theatrical and they tend to sing and dance and, and whatnot. Um, and so I found that to be kind of a good... Um, curve point and so I came across um I guess it was a student assignment or student project because it, it's no longer 
um, running, but it is online still. And they were saying that Disney villains often come to represent what is outside of the norm. And again, this is a quote. Um, so Disney villains often come to represent what is outside of the norm, whether these be gender norms, racial norms, or cultural norms, and send the message that different is evil. So just kind of let that sit. So this is when I kind of thought about, oh, so Disney villains represent marginalized communities. Okay. So I made a collage that had a picture of all of, well, a lot of the Disney villains with their hero counterparts and it, and just comparing it side by side and looking at what are the commonalities, what are the differences or are there differences between these different um disney characters throughout the generations so i do have like um peter pan from you know the early 1900s i think i think it was you know between 1930 and 50 um but i guess i'll have to double check that and then um the 1990s like hit movies like the little mermaid and the lion king and um the 2000s with um i guess hercules is a little bit before that and technically not a princess like like, Peter Pan is also not the princess lineup, but it's still up there. And actually, Lion King is not part of the Disney princess lineup either. So I guess that would have been another thing to have mentioned um, about, or maybe make another episode about. Um, and uh, some of the newer movies, like Tangled and other and Moana, and just kind of comparing, you know, um, basically an entire century, almost, of Disney princess films and or disney animated films i should say and looking at these villain characters and seeing there's a lot of commonalities there's a a few differences and when you're looking at different backgrounds different social identities looking at um the perceived lgbtqia community which there are a lot of articles about um even though it's not not determined, not defined, not, um, I guess, confirmed whether or not any characters do identify with the LGBTQIA community, but there are a lot of scholarly articles about it saying, oh, these, these characters do fall in line with, um, what we would consider to be a member of the LGBTQIA community. And again, their words, not mine. I don't know anything about about that, about, you know, can you tell who is part of what community? Can you tell um, for sure without confirming and, and all these other things I'm not, I'm not familiar with. Um, but anyway, so LGBTQIA community, people of color, immigrants, and... Um, other backgrounds like disabilities and other and in looking at that you can kind of see this um, common narrative about white privilege American citizenship and patriarchy Um, and by that I mean there's a common thread that those three things are kind of the norm we should stay conformed to within Disney uh, I would say up until maybe recently and by American citizenship, I mean, well, American citizenship and immigration, I mean, accents and dialects, which there are scholarly articles about it. Um, the articles particularly talk about the Lion King as as their prime example, but they do refer that other Disney movies and other animated 
films for children in general do the same thing where the excuse me protagonist or hero has a very american accent no matter where they're from so you look at characters like aladdin and mulan and moana who technically are from other parts of the world not the united states at least i think moana's not in that region because she she's not um affiliated with hawaii so she's yeah pacific islander so and i guess correct me if that's not the accurate term for moana but anyway um so you have these characters in these movies where they and even lion king i guess they are not from the united states they're from other parts of the world and therefore you may assume that they would have some kind of an accent and they at least with the hero characters and the princesses they do not they have a very american accent they um, are played by americans um back in the day they were played by a lot of white people a lot of white people are playing are still playing people of color in animation and um the villain characters on the other hand have a very different i would say dialect a very different accent um looking at you know jafar and the huns they have very either very deep voices very strong dialects of some sort um they talk in a very different type of way and at least with Jafar and even the Huns and, and others, in a sense, that would be kind of normal because they're not from America. You would expect them to talk a little bit differently. Um, but it is interesting that the hero and the villain talk vastly different from one another when they essentially, or we suspect, that they grew up and live in the same place. And I mean, not that you can't, because obviously people do that all the time. People immigrate, migrate all the time. Um, but it is kind of interesting because you don't have that backstory, I guess, to know. Or and you're not really thinking about it either because you're really just there for the story, not for the the backstory and, and why are you here and explanations and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, it was interesting. And in the article about the Lion King, they were talking about how Scar has a, a british accent and how what is it british accents and russian accents usually are are given to villain roles because it makes them seem more evil or, or something like that and i'm not trying to offend but um i think that was what the article was saying like based on research is kind of what has been seen with children and um the what are they called the hyenas um, they all have a very particular type of accent, which does kind of promote a certain um, a, a certain couple stereotypes. One is socioeconomic status, and one is the dialect. Um, so the and, and you can read more about it. I don't. I'm not looking at it right now, so I, I'm just going off of my memory. But it was something like um, having that particular accent, which I believe was a certain racial accent. Um, is affiliated or stereotyped to be also from a low socioeconomic standing. Um, so you're kind of stereotyping those two things together and then, you know, on the sidekick characters to make them seem dumb or, or other, um, which is obviously not cool. Not something that you really think about, but in looking at the research that has been done and um, just when you think about it on a deeper level, then it is very much present, unfortunately. 
Um, so those are things that um, I had people think about and look at. And I, I mean, I can't show you the visual layout of looking at all of them next to each other. But I guess if you wanted, you could look it up individually. Sorry. There's probably also fan art where it shows all of the villains in one picture together. So you could probably look at that too. Um, just to see or get ideas of what I'm looking at. Maybe even see like what what identities you can pick out or what characteristics and personality traits you can pick out and, and seeing what, what is common and what is not. After that, I started looking at media that empowers and also humanizes the Disney villain that is completely different from the Disney princess animated movies. So I was looking at um, the movie and series of Descendants on Disney Channel. I was looking at Maleficent with Angelina Jolie. I was looking at the TV show Once Upon a Time, um, which was probably like where I got most of my information was that show because it does delve in real deep on onto why the, why villains feel certain things and why they do certain things and why they act out on, on um, certain people or, or certain situations. And so I started to to analyze all of that. I was watching it a bit religiously <laughs> just to make sure I got everything that I could out of it. And um, also, I think I had watched the musical Wicked in person, um, which I hadn't really seen before. I've only heard the music. And so that was also kind of a gateway. I think that was also... Um, maybe an influence for the Wicked Witch in Once Upon a Time. Um, just this idea in Wicked, you know, she has green skin, which is not her fault. And how everybody treats her differently for it and say that she's wicked. And in the end, she ends up, she, she doesn't become wicked, but she just lets them think what they want to think instead of trying to convince them otherwise. But realistically, she I would say she's more of a, of a social worker and an activist. Uh, but nobody ever acknowledged it, so in the end, she just kind of lets everybody be and just kind of lives, lives her life um, away from others. Um, I didn't want to try. I try not to give away too much. Hopefully, that didn't give away too much. Uh, so I came across this meme or this picture. Excuse me. It shows the like a hero gladiator, and then all of these monsters about to attack this one person. And the picture says perspective. So, and then underneath, um, it says, you see a hero, which is the one guy. And they, being all the other, the, the quote-unquote monsters, right? Um, they see the final boss of the dungeon crawl. So it all, it's all about perspective, right? Um, somebody had sent me, I don't know if anybody watched games anybody watches game of thrones but of course everybody watches game of thrones or did and the night king right <laughs> somebody sent this to me um a picture of the night king and all the great things the night king did it was like the night king creates thousands of jobs wants to befriend bran always recycles combats global warming gives out cool weapons is good at funeral arrangements is an expert on afterlife care unites wisteros by tearing down the wall be a good guy be like the night king i just thought that was funny and, you know, it kind of does make you think about, technically, he's the bad guy, right? But he is good at those things. Those are good things to be good at, right? You just don't really see it because of all the killing and and other, right? So 
I just thought that was fun. Um, and then I had read this, I don't know if it's, an, I would say essay called, it's a long title. Uh, it's called, This is No Ordinary Apple, Learning to Fail Spectacularly from the Queer Pedagogy of Disney's Diva Villains by Mark Helmsing. And Mark states that while Disney villains, quote, live within the white patriarchal world of Disney, their, quote, vainglorious quest for beauty and power are no different from the conforming public desires in the dominant culture. Basically meaning Disney villains in the animated movies have the same desires, the same goals as literally any other character in those worlds. But the way that they accomplish those goals or the way that they obtain them and get to them are vastly different. And I guess that that would be technically what does separate a, a Disney villain from all the other characters in the in Disney films is how far and how extreme Disney villains are willing to go to get what they want. I then decided just for fun to flip the script on these characters just to see what it would be like. Um, I only did a couple, so I started with Mulan because there's already a meme about her in that sense. The meme says Mulan has the highest body count of any Disney character, including villains, and was the first Disney princess to kill the main villain in her movie. And so I rewatched Mulan, the animated movie, not the new live action that just came out. And in the world of Mulan, she technically is a traitor and someone who committed treason on multiple levels. Um, and I actually have the quote, funny enough. Uh, you know, she stole her father's armor, ran away from home, impersonated a soldier, deceived her commanding officer, dishonored the Chinese army, and destroyed the emperor's palace. And I did mark it too. So if you want to see that particular line, go to 1 hour, 15 minutes, and 57 seconds. You're welcome. So anyway, in in her world, she did commit treason on multiple levels, right? So she should be enemy number one. But she also did save China from the Huns. And in that way, she is a hero. And maybe in another way where people were not as accepting of her and what she is capable of and what her skills and knowledge and, and you know, literally everything about her is... Um, Maybe it would have taken a very drastic, dark turn where, you know, she would be enemy number one. Like, I can't think of a movie, but I know that examples like that have happened where you do something good and then people still don't accept you for it. Like, oh, like Wicked, you know, um, in Wicked, Alphaba does all of these great things for people. She She's liter a literal social worker who helps people, doesn't expect anything from it, and it's always, you know, there to advocate for people who can't, people and animals who can't help themselves, and then, and yet people still see her as enemy number one because her skin is green, which I think is ridiculous. But anyway, that's the story. And so, in Mulan's case, it could have been a very similar thing. Or even if you watch, um, if you watch After Ever After by Paint P A I N T on YouTube. The first one, the uh, After Ever After is a series. Um, if you watch, the, I think it's the first. No, it's the second one. Sorry. If you watch the second one, um, Paint does t uh, sing about Mulan. And, and basically, After Ever After is, is a series, acapella series, where Paint sings with himself. 
and basically flips the happily ever after um, using Disney songs and changing the lyrics. And so Mulan actually is the only one who does get a happily ever after, but in a different way, in that Mulan decides that they would prefer to be a man. And I shouldn't say prefer, but they know they want to be a man and that they are a man. And so it's just going through that whole process is Mulan's um, flipped happily ever after via paint. And so that could have been another avenue, right? That could have been something else that happened within this movie that did not happen. Not that saying it has to happen in any particular way, but there are many different endings or many different retellings of the story that are possible. And the other one I did was Jafar. And I know I talk a lot about Aladdin in general, and you'll probably hear me talk a lot about Aladdin overall, but it's just because it's my favorite movie. It's the movie that I've seen the most. Um, and I would say I've seen the live action as well a lot of times too. So it's the one I'm the most confident talking about. It's the one that I feel like I understand the most. And of course, that's just my interpretation of, of what I see in the movie. There are obviously other interpretations like, you know, Jafar ends up being a slave and other things that I never picked up on before. Um, but they're all there. So anyway, I did Jafar, uh, I was looking at Jafar and... Eric Con Gale, who's the writer, uh, one of the writers of Twisted, the parody musical on YouTube by Team Star Kid, said the most likable character in the movie, I think I can argue with you to prove, is Jafar. Yeah, he wants to take over the kingdom, but from who? A drug adult idiot of a sultan who sits on the throne and stacks toys of animals. That's no way to run a kingdom. And so actually thinking about that, I was like, you know, you're right. That does make sense. He's just trying to help the kingdom, help the politics, help the government. And that's actually what the musical talks about is in the musical, Jafar is, I would say, um, like a government worker, a scientist. Um, he says he's a geologist, but not that that it matters. And how he is trying to help his kingdom, his people, whereas everybody else is more concerned about looking pretty and finding magic and being happy with the little things and, and other instead of worrying about, you know, like poverty and social justice and other, so homelessness, etc. So um, that was an interesting flip. The um, watso i think that is the name watso videos on youtube um kind of explains backstories of different disney characters and watso is spelled w-o-t-s-o and they did an episode about jafar um saying that jafar grew up in poverty and was bullied by people of agrabah hence why he strived to be educated and work as the sultan's royal vizier so he would never have to live in poverty and oppression again um, which is right at the beginning the first minute of that video and even in, I think, Watson mentions the video game as well. I don't know if it's Kingdom Hearts or another Aladdin-affiliated video game, but there was a video game also where Jafar has a sister, and they both talk about growing up in poverty. Um, or show, I guess, because you wouldn't necessarily tell. But, um, so those are interesting. And then the live action, of course, also talked about Jafar coming from poverty. So it's a common it's a common thread that you see with Jafar in that he grew up in poverty. He never wants to go back to that again. So he strives for power and authority. And 
even in Once Upon a Time, there's a similar story arc. Um, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, which is the spinoff to Once Upon a Time, has Jafar as the main bad guy, or one of the main bad guys, I should say. And it does show that he grew up in poverty. And actually, in that story arc, he is the sultan's son, um, but he is the illegitimate son. And so he ends up growing in poverty. He tries to go back to the sultan once his mother dies and say, you know, I'm your long lost son and the sultan is not accepting and basically tries to kill him um, to prove that he did not have an affair. And then, or not prove that he didn't have an affair, but to get rid of the evidence being Jafar, quote, um, so that there would be no evidence that he had an affair. And Jafar ends up living through that and learns magic so he can overthrow the sultan. So it's a very different story arc, but um, they all show similarities. And then because I did Jafar in this flipping the script, I decided to do Aladdin too because the parody musical already did. Um, So in the parody musical, Aladdin is the villain. Or the main villain, I should say. And when you're looking at the song that he sings where he's saying, you know, Riff Raff Street Rat, I don't buy that. If only they look closer. Would they see a poor boy? No, sorry. They find out there's so much more to me. And the the parody musical redid a lot of Disney songs and they just changed the lyrics, <clears throat> which I think is kind of funnier in a way. And the part of the lyrics in Aladdin's song in the parody musical is... Did you know that this did you know that in this barbaric country they only give you money if you work? Thanks but no thanks. Quote the man, quote, I I'll keep stealing all I can instead of being a fascist yuppie jerk. So, in the parody musical Aladdin is a homeless thief who's squatting in someone else's building and he only takes what he can afford, which is everything. <laughs> so, commonalities and differences, right? Um so I mean, we can do that with every single character. Um, and the parody continues and, and does does the flipping the script with other characters like Ursula Scar um, and other villains. The only one that they could not do was Cruella DeVille, which I found to be actually really funny. Um, and that Cruella DeVille tries to tell her side of the story, um, which is uh, about, about at the one hour and 40-ish mark, 40-minute-ish mark. Um, and all the villains don't agree. They're like, yeah, like, you know, Scar is just trying to fight social justice and fight for equity and equality. And Ursula is just trying to fight for her rights as a woman and or as a female squid and X, Y and Z. And then you get to Cruella and, you know, she's talking about puppies and everyone's like, no, that's not acceptable. You can't. No, I don't understand. I just leave. <laughs> so it was kind of funny and cute. Um Obviously, you know, Corella killing puppies is not cute, but that scene was. So anyway, so definitely highly recommend watching it, at least watching that scene, um, which is about, I think it starts at the hour and 36 minute mark-ish. So if you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. I'm sure if you type in Team Star Kid Twisted or even if you type in Twisted Parody Musical, I'm sure you'll find it. So I'm nearing the end of the presentation, and there is this, I guess, block quote that I do like to read 
Um, and so I'll read it now. I, I can't remember where I got it from. I'm assuming I got it from The Conscious Kid, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And so this is written by Rudine Sims Bishop, and it goes like this. Children from dominant social groups have always found their mirrors in books, but they too have suffered from the lack of availability of books about others. They need the books as windows onto reality, not just on ima- not just on imaginary worlds. They need books that will help them understand the multicultural nature of the world they live in and their place as a member of just one group, as well as their connections to all other humans. In this country, where racism is still one of the major unresolved social problems, books may be one of the few places where children who are socially isolated and insulated from the larger world may meet people unlike themselves. If they see other reflections of themselves, they will grow up with an exaggerated sense of their own importance and value in the world. A dangerous ethnocentrism. And sorry for my slurs and and isms and such, but I just thought that was really powerful to read. I had never thought of it in that way, to be honest. Um, I... I would say I do a lot of diversity and equity inclusion work in my job and not so much focused on children, but that's kind of obviously what I'm leaning towards because all the media I intake or am exposed to is is for children. And I had never thought about it in that way where it's not just children of color who need diversity in media, it's all children. It's, you know, privileged children, it's white children, it's all children. Because we all need to be exposed to diversity, we all need to see diverse representation to know that there are other identities out there from ourselves, to know that there are identities out there that share identities with us. And so I I do like to kind of wrap that up in... um, in my presentation. And then I always end the presentation with this quote by Mark Helmsing, who is the um, um, writer I previously mentioned, who wrote about uh, Disney's diva diva villains, excuse me. And so Mark says, sometimes it's better to be fabulous and have gone out big, parenthesis, as a dragon or a witch, parenthesis, than a dowdy, boring scullery maid or servile house mother to ungrateful dwarves. I'll try to list everything in the description. If I can't, then I'll just list it here real quick. Um, so I did talk about Team Star Kids Twisted parody on YouTube, which is a full-length musical. There's also Paint um, and their After Ever After Acapella series on YouTube. Um, I don't think I talked about it, but there are different TED Talks, um, one being Bring on the Female Superheroes, the other being The Power and Problem of Princesses. The second one I only found on YouTube and not on the TED Talk website, so if you're interested in that, they do talk about Disney characters. Um, The Female Superheroes talks more about Marvel and um, some readings that I did, so the Instagram account, The Conscious Kid, one word, and Sarah Gailey's In Defense of Villainesses on um, www.tor.com. And then Mark Helmsing's This is No Ordinary Apple essay located in um, the Disney Culture and Curriculum book edited by Jennifer Sandlin and Julie Garland. 
so those were some of the materials that I mentioned. I'll try to incorporate them and see if maybe I can find a link or something to them. And yeah, that's the end of my first episode. Hopefully it wasn't too long or too boring. And hopefully you'll stick around and continue to listen to what I have in store. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.